Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that the last line of that song will truly be the expression of our heart. There is another witness, and it is us. In your name we pray. Amen. That song and the question still hanging in the air, who will be a witness? Who will be a witness for my Lord? It's a question that's hung in the air for thousands of years. Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, Jesus said, said this to his disciples, the harvest is truly what? Plentiful, but the laborers are what? Few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus said, pray for witnesses. I was planning to preach on another subject today, but with all these young people here, the orchestra left us, and some of the choir, hopefully they're still somewhere around. With all these young people here today, I decided to preach on something else because I want to challenge not only us in the congregation, but I want to challenge these young people as well to a great mission, a great purpose in life, a great calling in life. Early in our lives, oftentimes, beginning even as far back as high school or maybe even middle school, we begin to think about the things that, that are going to be the most important to us, those, those things that we are willing to, to live and die for, those things that we really want, that we desperately, that we desperately desire in our lives. We, we make decisions about the things in our lives that are, are most important. We, make, we begin to formulate the, the beginnings, the inner workings of, of what we will live and die for. Because we all do give our lives for something. We all live for something. Dr. Gilbert Beleskian once said, throughout the course of your life, you're going to give your life to something. You will. There's no question of it. All people do. They give their lives. Many give their lives to pleasure or possessions, to the attainment of popularity or to the acquisition of more power, but always to something. I want us to pause for a moment and ask all of us to think about our lives, whether your life is just beginning, whether you're just in the formulation stages of, of what you're going to give your life for, or, or if you're far down the road and you're coming towards the end of your life. Think about your lives. What have you given your life to, or what do you, are you giving your life to, or what do you plan to give your life to? To our young friends here, to our, our young students from Spencerville, what is it that you guys want to give your lives for and to? You may not think about this in those terms, but you're already beginning to formulate the seeds of, of what, you're going, what your mission in life is going to be. When I was the age of many of these young people behind me, I began to, to think about the things that I wanted to have in my life, the things that I wanted for, for, for my world. I wanted to be rich. Do any of you want to be rich? I see some heads nodding. I appreciate your honesty. You know what? If I ask these people too, a lot of them would nod their heads as well. Right? Yeah, I mean, we, there's nothing wrong with, with, with having money, but there is a little bit something about this deep desire to want it. But I wanted to be, to be rich. I wanted to, to be powerful. In some ways, I even wanted a little bit of, uh, of the fame that goes along with that. I, 
I knew, though, that there was areas that I could never get that. I had played sports most of my life, but because of, of, some, of the Sabbath con- uh, conflicts, uh, as I got further along in sports, my parents uh, and, uh, decided, and I, I, I don't know that I agreed with them, but I went along with them to be pulled out of the sports. So I wasn't going to attain it through, through my sports uh, athletics. I wasn't going to attain it by being famous. I, I realized that by being, by being an actor or anything like that. I was in a couple plays when I was a kid, and I was in a musical even, the musical Oklahoma. Oh, the farmer and the cowman should be. It wasn't much better then either. Um, <laughs> Martha Jean was there. She could testify to the whole thing. So I wasn't going to make it that way. So I, so I began to think about other ways in which I could maybe have wealth and, and have, have power and have, have this influence. And I decided, I formulated a plan that I was going to become a lawyer, as I mentioned in my biography, and then I was going to become a politician. That's what I wanted to do. I, after all, I did love America. I'm one of those people that cries at the 4th of July. Any of the rest of you cry at the 4th of July? Anyone else have those experiences? My wife and I, uh, we were just early dating, and I was working a summer down in Southern California, and Christina came down with her parents, and they took us to a baseball game. I'm a Dodger fan. They're Giants fans. And uh, they took us to a Dodger-Giant game, and it happened to be on the 4th of July. And after the game was over, they, they were playing the patriotic music and shooting off the fireworks, and the, the, the military folk were walking onto the field, and I began to cry. And Christina looked over at me like, Really? So I was patriotic. I'm going to become a lawyer. I'll be a politician. I, I love my country. It has other benefits that I want as well. But there was absolutely no God in my picture at all. No God in my plan. No, no God in my, I, my thinking at all. But then when I was 18 years old, when I was 18 years old, everything, without me even planning on it, just flipped on a, on a dime. Just immediately like that. Everything in my life changed. And, and that which I, which I thought that I wanted now suddenly began to seem empty and pointless and hopeless and ultimately devoid of true joy. The reason for this is that I became a Christian and in Jesus I discovered that thing, those things that I truly wanted to give my life for. The things that, truly, that I truly should give my life for. But not just me. I believe it is the thing at which all of us as Christians should be willing to give our lives for. Dr. Beleskian went on to say, the followers of Christ who really get it right give themselves to the cause of people. Most importantly, they give themselves to pointing people to faith in Christ. Church family and and young people, as the, the question hangs in the air, who will be a witness as the prayer of Jesus and the disciples cascades down through the centuries, Lord, pray for the Lord to send workers for the harvest, to send, pray for witnesses. I want to challenge each and every one of us now in this moment to, to seriously ponder, to seriously consider, are we willing to make the commitment that the thing that we will live and die for are people? More specifically, reaching people with the love of Jesus. We sit here today because Jesus made people his primary mission. 
Jesus made people the cause that he was willing to live and die for. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 10 and verse 10. John chapter 10 and verse 10, there is a succinct statement that Jesus makes at the end of, of this verse. It's the last sentence in this verse. It's a two-sentence verse, John chapter 10 and verse 10. There's a succinct statement that, of, of the cause that Jesus says he came for, that he's willing to live and die for. John chapter 10, the last sentence of verse 10. I have come that they may have life and that they ha may have it what? more abundantly. I have come that they may have life, but not just any old average life. I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly. If you are in this room today and you are wondering, how can I get the abundant life? Young people, if you are wondering how you can have the abundant life when you, grow, when you get as old as Mr. Martinez, If you're wondering how you can have that abundant life, there is absolutely only one way, and that is through knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus' mission to give life to people, and not just any life, the abundant life. We sit here, those of us that have, that have accepted Jesus into our hearts, we sit here as recipients of that abundant life because Jesus chose to make you and to make me the cause that he would live and die for. I believe that Jesus is calling each and every one of us to take on the name of Christian to give our lives for this very same cause. Helping others receive, helping others to know about the abundant life that Jesus desires to give each one of them. To help them to know that, that the free gift has already be get, been given, they just need to open it. To help people to know that, that the check has already been written, they just need to deposit it into the bank. We need to realize that the cause that we should live and die for is the cause of Jesus Christ. And that is that people may have the abundant life through him. As the question hangs in the air, who will be my witness? I wonder how many of us are ready to say yes, that is the cause I will live and die for. Now the danger with this proposition is this. There's a danger to this, to this proposition. Many times we think of great causes, we think of uh, uh, great causes and, and, and these great movements about our need to create something huge and, and spectacular. We think about that abundant life and we say, okay, if we're gonna have that abundant life, then we need an abundant amount of programs and we need an abundant amount of, of models and we need an abundant amount of, of methods and we need to go an abundance of, of miles to, to do these great things. We must make an abundance of gestures. All these things may eventually happen in our lives, but I would suggest that, that if you wanna truly make people the great cause of your life. If you want to make people the thing that you will live and die for, that it begins with something as simple as being willing to cross a room and have a conversation. What do I mean by crossing the room? A few years back, Bill Hybels wrote a book entitled Just Walk Across the Room. It's a, a wonderful little book on personal evangelism. And it talks about how the simple gesture of, of crossing a room how someone who is, who is led by the Holy Spirit, someone who is guided by the Holy Spirit, someone who is, who is 
who is being directed in every area of their life by the Holy Spirit, someone who has given their life for the cause of Jesus Christ, which is people. When they are moved to walk across a room and have a conversation, that these moments can have a great impact for eternity. I'm a product of someone deciding to do that for me. I believe I related part of this story to y'all before, but it's, it's worth uh, repeating. On the night I made a decision for, for Jesus, I almost wasn't even there. For one, I, I, I wasn't gonna go. I wasn't someone that regularly attended worship services of any sort, and the school was having a local Vespers, and I almost didn't go, but then what I now know to be the prompting of the Holy Spirit uh, and, and, and the, the, the prick of conscience on my mind of the Holy Spirit, I, I walked across the street. We lived right across the road, so it wasn't hard for me to, to go there right across from the Centerville Church, and I walked right across the street. I was, I was very late to this Vespers, and I went into the, the fellowship hall there, and I sat down in the back of the fellowship hall. It was dark, and they were telling some story or doing something. I don't even remember what was going on, but I, I sat down in the back next to an individual, and as I was sitting there, I was not there more than a few minutes when our chaplain got up and said, now we are going to participate in communion. Now we are going to participate in communion. And I was sitting there, and I heard these words. I was sitting there on the ground against the wall, and I heard these words, and I leaned over to the person that was sitting next to me, and I patted them on the knee, and I said, I'll see you later. And I started to make a beeline for the door. I had no interest in being a part of this thing. But before I could fully stand up, when I was in mid-stride, someone grabbed a hold of my arm and said, Chad, Chad, can I wash your feet? Now this shocked me. I mean, this, this question flabbergasted me. There was this young man there by the name of Jevin that, that stopped me before I could even get out the door, and, and he grabbed me. He said, Chad, can I, can I wash your feet? And I was, I was caught off guard by this question, and I was even more caught off guard by my answer. Uh, okay. <laughs> you see, I'd never participated in foot washing ever in my life. My dad had asked me. I said, no way. Friends had asked me. I said, no way. Now someone I honestly didn't even like. I've told him this. It's okay. He knows this. I didn't even like. Asked me. And I said, I found myself saying, uh, okay. And the next thing I know, he was washing my feet. But more than the moment of him washing my feet, as I look back on it, is that he was willing to cross a room to stop me. Someone he knew didn't like him. Someone he knew was against everything that he believed in. And yet something in his spirit prompted him to cross a room and he responded to that prompting and he stopped me in my tracks. And by him crossing the room, not only did, did he wash my feet, but he did something more importantly for me that night. He kept me in that room. I was walking out of the room. I was ready to leave, and he stopped me. And we were done washing. When, when he was done washing my feet and people were done washing feet, the chaplain, someone stood up and said a few things, and then the chaplain stood up, and he made an appeal that if anyone wanted to accept Christ, 
And on April 26, 1996, without any plan or forethought in my mind, young people, you never know when the Lord is going to grab a hold of your heart. Always be ready. He is going to try it to do it with each one of you, maybe multiple times. I had no idea that night when I walked across the street that that was gonna happen, but there I was, and just as, just as amazed as I was about saying yes to foot washing, when he said, who wants to stand up and say, Jesus, I'll give you my heart, I found myself standing up. It still gives me chills to this day. The best decision I ever made in my life. But it happened. It happened because someone was willing to cross the room and stop me and say, hey, can I wash your feet? Jevin had made a decision in his life to make witnessing for Jesus to people, uh, witnessing to, for Jesus to people his cause. And when the Holy Spirit impressed him to cross that room that night, it changed my life. This shouldn't really surprise us, though. The, the Bible is, is rich with stories, is, is replete with stories that, that are about people crossing rooms, sometimes metaphorical rooms, in order to win hearts for Jesus Christ. The stories that, that often resonate most with us are those stories in which Jesus had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. The song that they just sung about, we, we read about Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and he came in the, in the night, and he said, you must be born again, and then he said, you, now you must be a witness. Those, those stories of, of those individual encounters are the ones that impact us almost the most. Yes, we love the Sermon on the Mount. Beautiful, beautiful sermon. We love the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. That's, that's impressive. But the stories that, that really resonate with our soul are those ones in which Jesus encounters another person one-on-one -on -one and their life is changed. I think of John chapter 4 in which Jesus has a, has a a conversation with a woman. He, he crosses a room, metaphorical rooms. He crosses the room of, of cultural divide with the Samaritans. He crosses the room of cultural divide by, by talking to this woman. He crosses a room of, of, of fear, of, of fear considering the fact that people knew of her reputation and so did Jesus and yet he was still willing to speak with her. He crossed rooms for, for people and we read about how he crossed the room and had one conversation with this woman and it changes her life forever. And that one story impacts us. Luke chapter 19, I think of Luke chapter 19, the story of a, of a wee little man. A wee little man that, that, that every one of us knows about. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. I hear young kids right here, Ben, singing on the second row. I hear, I'm not going to point out who the oldest person is in the room that I think, but all the way from the bottom to the top, we know that song. We, we were impacted by that story of Jesus crossing a road, stopping under a tree, having a conversation with a wee little man, and it changes his life completely. When you make people your, people your cause, like Jesus did for us, 
and you live your life responding to the Holy Spirit and crossing rooms for just one individual, when you cross that room, you will change lives. Now some people might say, but pastor, I wanna do great things. I wanna do magnificent things. By crossing a room, you are doing a great thing. You are doing a great thing for that one person, and, and if it's just that one person, it is worth it. But oftentimes, what we don't see is, is the impact that, that you ministering to that one person, that, the ripple effect that that has on reaching so many other people. Think of the story in John chapter four. Turn your Bibles to John chapter four. Jesus has a conversation with this with this one individual, this, this sinful woman, and it, it changes her life. Everything about her life is changed. And what does she do? Verse 28 of John chapter four. Verse 28 tells us, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city to him, to Jesus. And what happened to that city? Verses 39 through 41, read this. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. The Bible tells us that many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of this woman's testimony. Jesus has an initial conversation, one conversation with this one woman, with this one woman, and because of that one conversation and her going back and sharing about that conversation, the Bible tells us that many, many are saved for the kingdom of God. But it goes beyond that. So when the Samaritans had come to him, come to him they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And then what does it say? And many more believed because of his own word. Many more believed. Think about the impact on this city because Jesus had one conversation. Folks, you never know the power of just one conversation. You never know the power of that one time you cross the room to reach out to someone with the love of Jesus. You never know how far Jesus is gonna take that one encounter and impact maybe entire cities, entire communities for that one conversation. Think about the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19 and verse eight. Jesus stops under a tree. He has a conversation with a, with a short man and he goes to, to his house to eat. And because of this encounter with this, with this man, because Jesus, while he was walking through a crowd and this man couldn't see, Jesus notices this, this loner up in the tree. Jesus notices this, this, this individual that, that that is obviously shunned by the community. Jesus notices him and he decides to cross the street to look up into a tree and say, hey buddy, come on down. I wanna go eat with you. He was willing to cross a room for Zacchaeus. And, and think about the impact. Initially, we just can think about even the, the financial impact. Luke chapter 19 and verse eight. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. If I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Just think of the, the, the monetary impact that had on some people's lives. Say he took some money, he cleaned out someone's bank account. 
Now that person not only gets their bank account back, they get it four times larger. Man, I would gladly have someone rob my bank account if I got to have it back four times larger. Amen? It says four times larger. Think about that impact, but also think about the impact of the witness. Think about the impact of the witness that that had. That here this man that, that everyone had given up on, that no one wanted to be around, that everyone shunned. And now in a moment, in just a, an encounter with, with Jesus, a one-on-one encounter with Jesus, he becomes the most generous man, one of the most generous men in all of Scripture. It's amazing. Again, I think of my own life. Jevin crossed a room for me. I've had the great privilege in my life of baptizing in my ministry hundreds and hundreds of people. I hope by the end of my ministry that I'll have the privilege of baptizing thousands and thousands of people. To my knowledge, Jevin has never baptized one person. He's never baptized a single person to my, to my knowledge. He's not in, the, in, a, in any type of ministry career. But he crossed the room for me. He heard the Spirit. He responded to the Spirit. And he had an impact on one. And that one has gone on to serve thousands and has had the opportunity to impact many. Now, all those baptisms that have come and the baptisms that will come, doesn't in some way Jevin play a role in each and every one of those? I think his crown will be full of stars for the lives that he changed, even if he just only impacted one. Because you never know the difference of, of that one encounter. Amazing things happen when we make people our cause. When we decide to follow the example of Jesus and do great things for just the one across the desert, across the road, across the neighborhood, across our office, across our, our classroom, across the, the school hallway, across the gymnasium, even across the church. There are many people that attend our church on a consistent basis that need someone to cross the room for them. Many people. You know, we had a lady, and if she's here today, her name was, was Kathy, and she, and, and if Kathy, if you're here, we welcome you back, and we're glad you're here. But Kathy came to our church last week because she looked, was looking up for a church in the phone book. And she came across ours, and she realized we go to church on Saturday, so she showed up. Enjoyed the service, wanted to look around. Marilyn's had contact with her. There was a couple that I got a connection card from uh, a few weeks ago. And, and they didn't leave any address or any, any, uh, any phone number, but they said thank you for the service. They were driving by and they saw our sign and they decided to come in and check out what this church was all about. They just walked in off the street. They saw a sign, they said, hey, let's pull in and see what's going on. I wonder if some of these people that just come and check things out, just drop in on, on one occasion, if maybe they would come back a second time 
or a third time, or a fourth time, if, if we would cross the room even within this church? What if we cross the room in a Sabbath school to talk to that, that parent that, that looks like they don't know anybody? What if we were to cross the room in the foyer? What if we were to leave our friends and cross the room into the foyer to, to, to connect with that person that seems like they're here all alone? Public evangelism is needed. We're going to have meetings here in November, and we're excited about that. Programs are needed. Methods are needed. I mean, I love all of these things, y'all. I, I, I live and breathe, to be honest with you, working for Jesus in the church. I mean, I, I love it with, with all of my heart. Someone asked me, what do you like to do? And, and I like to run, although not as much as I should, and I don't like it at all right now in this cold. I'm gonna ask Rich Reinhardt, he's been trying to get me out. I'm like, uh, wait till it gets above 50, let's go then. I love those things, but, but really when it comes down to it, what's your hobby? I like to think about the church. I like to talk about the church. I like to talk about church growth, and I like to look at methods and, and, and methodology. I like to think about ways in which we can engage people. I've been over in Brian's office half a dozen times just talking to him about, like, how can we work with the school and the church? How can we be more evangelistic together? I just love, I love what I do. Thank you. Thank you. But in spite of all that, in spite of how much I love methodology and I love programming and I love public evangelism and I love the giant endeavors that many of you do all over the world for Jesus, I've come to learn this very simple truth. All of those things are sustained. The evangelism, the growth of our church is best sustained by simple folk like you and I making the decision to live and die for the cause that Jesus lived and died for people. And then because we've chosen that cause, we make the simple decision to cross the room for just one person. The evangelism, the programs, the methods, they're all sustained by the one person, by the two people, by the three people, by the 500 people that choose individually to cross the room and have a conversation on behalf of Jesus Christ with just one other person. The question remains for us, who will be a witness for my Lord? Who in here will be willing to take those 10 or those 15 steps this week to cross a room for Jesus. Will you take out your connection card, please, at this time? And turn it over to the back side. If you don't have a connection card, do we have any? I know we're pretty full today. Hope we printed enough. If you don't have one and you'd like to fill one out, you can get one at the Welcome Center, I believe. That first box on the right side, I just want to... I want us to make note of this. I'm interested in, if you're one of those people that I mentioned that you looked us up in the phone book today or, or you drove by and you just happened to drop in or you're randomly looking for a church, I wanna encourage you to, uh, if you wanna 
know more about a relationship with Jesus, we'd love to, to talk with you on that. If some of you have been in your lives convicted that you need to get baptized, you have not yet been, been uh, uh, immersed in baptism, then I want to encourage you to check that box. If you're looking for a church family, we hope you will choose us. We'd love to be your church family. Serving on a team at Spencerville, we talked about that down in the rectangle, receiving baptismal Bible studies. But in response to today's sermon, I want to give my life to the cause for which Jesus gave his life, people. If, you, if that's your desire of your heart right now, I just want to encourage you to check that box. Make, make that decision, make that, that emotional commitment in your mind. I want to give my life to the cause for which Jesus gave his life, people. The second one, I understand this cause is best supported by the daily choice I have to cross a room and have a Holy Spirit led conversation. This cause, folks, is best supported by the single individual being willing to cross the room and interact with another individual. It's true. Evangelistic, even, even if we're going to talk about evangelistic methods and, and studies, the truth is, is that, is that more people stick with it when they come in through a relationship, through the friendship of someone else. So I understand the cause is best supported by me having that daily choice to cross the room and have a Holy Spirit-led conversation. And if you understand that, then will you be willing to check this last box? I will cross rooms for Jesus. I will cross classrooms for Jesus. I will cross hallways for Jesus, young people. I will cross gymnasiums for Jesus. You all go to a Christian school and you may think, man, everybody knows about Jesus already. I went to Spring Valley Academy. I went to a Seventh-day Adventist school. And if Jevin had not crossed the room for me, I might have walked out of there still not knowing Jesus. There are peers in your school that need you to be, need you to be willing to cross rooms for them, to share Jesus with them. So I want to challenge you to do that as well. Those of us here in the marketplace, as we, in the places in which we work, are we willing to cross rooms within our, our workplaces? Some of you work in our institutions. Don't believe just because you're in an institution that there are not, uh, one of our Christian institutions, that there are not still people that need you to cross the room for them. Maybe it's not even to cross the room for, for their salvation, but, but maybe they're having a, a moment of doubt. Maybe they're having a crisis in their lives, and they need you to be the one to step in and say, Jesus is there for you, or just to put your arms around them and say, I love you, and I'm praying for you. Let's be willing to cross rooms for people, and let's see how God uses those one-on-one -on -one contacts to do great things for eternity. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for, for crossing the universe for us. But we also thank you for, you for how you showed us to do it through personal evangelism, those one-on-one -on -one encounters. Lord, I pray that we will be a church full of evangelists, not because everybody's getting up to preach, not because everybody is giving the most in-depth Bible study, but because everybody has made people the cause for which they will live and die for. And because of that, they see each person as a person that needs to be reached for Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be led by the Holy Spirit. And may we walk when you tell us to walk. And may we speak when you tell us to speak. And may we see lives changed for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.